Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. All righty, we are back. We're into the afternoon edition here on 610 KDAL. By the way, uh, it's probably appropriate to let you know that uh, we do have a Twins baseball game tomorrow, Friday, here on our station again. So when you uh, tune in uh, to listen to Sound Off tomorrow morning, uh, make it an hour earlier. Uh, make it at, uh, what, uh, 10 o'clock, right, Kenny? 10 yeah, to, yep, 10 to noon tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, 10 to noon baseball. tomorrow, yep. Friday. Uh, okay, so back to this story now. Are 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 you happy with education? I, you know, I got to tell you, this is the honest to God truth. I was not a really good student until later on, until I got to college. Yeah, um, you know, I did okay in in school. I I I ended up in elementary school out in North Dakota. They they had good teachers there. They taught me well. Then I came back to Minnesota, and I was in Floodwood for a while, and they had good teachers there. Dan Feld, of course, I thought had good teachers. Back in those days, in the 60s, they were great teachers. And I uh, I messed up a lot. I could have done a lot more with education. But I don't know, Kenny, if you've ever heard this concept, but in high school, I was more interested in looking at and looking and talking to the pretty girls than I was... Um, you know, concentrating on uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I don't know if you ever had any kids in your class that were like that, but uh, yeah, I didn't concentrate and focus real well. But all of a sudden, I go to the Marine Corps. Right after, well, I, I went to uh, I went to UMD for a quarter, and then found out I wasn't going to be a starting football player there, so I uh, ended up going to the Marine Corps. And I took a battery of tests in the Marine Corps, and they came back to me and said you know what, you're pretty bright. You did very well on these scores. And I'm thinking, oh, did they did they get me mixed up with somebody else? But no, back in those days, in the 60s, uh, education was a real stickler here in Minnesota, and you had to concentrate. I mean, if a teacher uh, caught you um, misbehaving or, you know, they'd smack you on the hand with a ruler or, or worse, and they make sure you stayed focused. Well, today... It's not that way. Let let me read you the latest out of a report. This report recently found that there are 53 public schools in Illinois. Now, don't worry. I'll get to Minnesota here. There are 53 public schools in Illinois where not a single student can do math at grade level. Not 53 school students but 53 public schools in Illinois, the entire school population, where not a single student can do math at grade level. That report recently made international news, and uh, a writer uh, at Powerline, Katrin Wigfall, Wigfall, wondered whether there could possibly be any such low-achieving schools in Minnesota. So she started to investigate. And it turns out there are 19 public schools in Minnesota, 11 of them public charter schools. In other words, charter schools run by school districts where not a single student can do math at grade level. Per pupil spending at these schools runs on the average of $32,000 annually per student. We're spending in Minnesota $32,000 a student 
to have schools where not a student can achieve at the grade level they're at in math. Money has nothing to do with it. Statewide, this is in Minnesota now, statewide, only 45% of public school students can do math at grade level. 45%, in other words, 55% don't. And only around 50% can read at grade level. By the time they get to the 11th grade, only 36% of Minnesota youth can do math at grade level. Our public schools are a disaster and a disgrace. No wonder whether the best courses uh, should be whether some courses should be dynamited and start over. School choice obviously is a must. But the Democratic Party won't let that happen. Why? Well, I told you part of the reason the other day uh, when you found out that uh, the, the Democratic Party, or I should say the teachers union, had given over a million dollars to uh, a specific candidate for, uh, this was in Chicago now, but the Chicago School District, the Chicago Teachers Union, had given a million dollars to the candidate that, that they thought was most favorable to them. The Democratic Party won't let that happen in Minnesota. Further choice does little good to the extent it moves students into low-achieving public charter schools or out of uh, a charter school that can't train a single student to do math at grade level should be put out of business along with a lot of other failing taxpayer-funded schools. The question of what to do about our dismal education system is a large one. But any possible solution begins with the acknowledgement that our public schools are now unacceptably bad, despite the astonishing large amounts of money that we spend on them. We spend more and more and more, and what, is, uh, what does our governor say? You know, our governor, the same governor who, by the way, uh, got huge amounts of money from the teachers' union to get reelected. Well, the governor simply says, oh, give, uh, give public education more money. We've got to give them more money. We want to give them part, a big chunk of our reserves, big chunk of our 17 a billion of reserves we have. Well, well, uh, you mean we're doing so well educationally that you want to give them more so we'll do even better? Uh, kind of something like that. <laughs> kind of like that. News reports, you know, recently I'm, I'm reading, this is from, uh, by the way, this is from from David Horowitz's, uh, David Horowitz is a pretty conservative journalist, but he writes uh, about what what is going on, recent mayhem in Austin, Texas. In the news reports about the anti-police mayhem by young people in Austin, Texas, one common element is missing. The obvious fact is that Austin is a college town, home to one of America's once great educational institutions. This fact is is not perpetual uh, to the outbreak of lawlessness that tore apart Austin that night, but it's central to it. Like virtually every major academic institution in America, the University of Texas is a bastion of anti-American, anti-police, anti-white hatred, and has been so since conservatives were purged from the local liberal arts facilities beginning in the 70s during the Vietnam War when all the anti-war activists stayed in college, became adjunct professors, and then later regular professors— 
and replaced their normal ideology at the schools with the socialist ideology that is there today. Having uh, written five volumes describing the transportation or, or the transformation, I should say, of American universities into institutions hostile to America, it is apparent to me that the source of our current ills, lawlessness in our streets, the, the destruction of our border, the source of our current ills, the lawlessness, uh, part of it is the, the and also the racist equality policies of the Democratic Party, the wonk dereliction of our military leaders, can all be traced, the indoctrination of our educated classes in hatred spawned by cultural Marxism. Marxism is a creed that results in more than 100 million deaths in peacetime and continuant widespread suffering on a scale unprecedented in the annals of, of human history. Just as the universities in Germany were the first institutions to join the Nazi cause, so American universities have handed over their curricula to enemies in America, beginning with Stalinist Russia and extending on to Castro's Cuba, Communist China, and terrorists in Iran. They have even given their institutional support to a Pakistani movement which sided with Hitler during a World War II, or a Palestinian movement, I should say, and which today promises to finish the job that Hitler started by destroying Israel, the only liberal democracy in the Middle East, and it's making it Jew-free. I'm not alone in thinking that current, that, that uh, curing this cancer in our midst is essential to restoring the constitutional republic that America was by reviving the principles and values that make it a beacon of the world. The path to achieving this results begins with recognizing that our premier universities have in their liberal arts program become one-party states ruled by ignorance and bigotry and thus breeding grounds for civil and racial hatred and lawlessness. To remedy this state of affairs, America must press for the defunding of these institutions, withholding the federal and state monies that help to spread their hatred until such time as their facilities represents the true intellectual diversity of America. You know, and it starts, and it does start on a local state basis. Down here in Florida, uh, Governor DeSantis has shut down a lot of the programs that were being taught in universities that were being taught that just being white is being racist. You know, I, I, I know that there is race, racial hatred, and I know that there is bigotry, and a lot of people have it, but you don't have to teach it in schools. And unfortunately, that's kind of what's going on in a lot of these schools. Was going on down here with critical race theory and a number of other things like that. Those things have now been cut out of the curriculum, and uh, they're not being taught. Now, some some leftists are saying, oh, my God, Go Governor DeSantis, you're not allowing black history to be taught. And he's saying, no. I'm allowing black history to be taught, real black history, but I'm not allowing hatred and bigotry to be taught. Anyway, we've got to take our first break here of hour number two. We will come back shortly with much more. KDAL. I am the eye in the sky, looking at you.
KDAL time is 1225. Uh, we're closer to 1226. We're going to be there in about 2 1, 1226. There it is. 25 degrees at the Army Corps of Engineers. Still very light winds out of the northeast, about two miles an hour. Brad, it's happened. Today's the day. I can't believe it. My favorite day of the year. Okay, one of my favorite days of the year. It's National Banana Cream Pie Day. I love banana cream pie. I really do. Uh, I'm not hugely fond of it. I do like it. Okay, well, then give me your Uh, piece. Okay. All right. My favorite, cherry pie. It's not today's. old fashioned. You get your own day. Today's (laughs) banana cream pie. (laughs) Okay. All right, fine. You know, it's funny because I'm reading some of the details. Historians have traced back the origins of pie. Oh, okay. I was thinking banana cream. Okay, they've traced back the origins of pie to Neolithic period, the Neolithic period around 6,000 B.C. I wonder if they cooked them in gas stoves. (laughs) Oh, God. Well... I don't know about that, but uh, you say you say it's what kind of pie today? It's uh, banana, banana cream. cream. Banana cream okay. pie. There's a few other. Well, things. you know what else it is today? You know what else it is today? I've got a couple of here. What do you have? Yeah, National Egg McMuffin Day. Yes, <laughs> it's that iconic breakfast sandwich, uh, which, by the way, was launched in 1970. Really, by McDonald's. You know how- by McDonald's. You know how much it cost back in 1970? Uh, I'm going to say 79 cents. You'd be overpriced. Ooh. 63 cents. Really? Dang. Yes, let's go back, back in, and do it again. 63 cents. And, of course, today, uh, I don't know. What does it cost today? Do you have any idea? Oh, gosh. It varies. Sometimes they put them on sale, but it's uh, three, four bucks, I think. I don't yeah, know. I'm not, but, I'm you not know, totally, I really yeah. do like them. It's one of my favorite items at uh, McDonald's. Oh, you're, you're talking about a, uh, the egg, egg McMuffin. Or, uh, egg McMuffin. Yeah. yeah, they're great. I mean, yeah. for breakfast, you can't beat them. They're easy to eat. They're not sloppy. You can just drive through, pick one up, and go. Yeah. Yeah. See, as long as we're on a trivia here before with the CBS News, i got to ask you this. Now, we all should know, I suppose, that uh, Tom Cruise is very, very popular movie star. Uh, and thanks to the success of Top Gun... Maverick, Tom Cruise sits atop the list of most bankable stars in Hollywood. Do you have any idea what he earned last year? Just last year, not his whole lifetime, not his whole uh, movie career. Ten billion. But just last year. Oh, I don't think it's that that much, is it? I don't Can't know. Be. You asked. I'm just thinking. Well, I'm, big I'm looking at it here. Oh. Let's see. I'm looking at it here, and I'm going to see if I because they got this whole story, and you got to read down oh, into the I story see. to find out okay. how much it is. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's see. We've got uh, when he reportedly insured a uh, to, uh, insured a pay of over a hundred million for the two upcoming sequels of the hit murder mystery Knives Out. No, that's not it. Uh, you know what? I can't. I can't find it here. I oh. will find it, and I'll tell you what it. Oh, you're here. We are, Kenny. The worldwide gross of uh, of over one point three billion. Top Gun Maverick is the highest grossing film. Tom Cruise sits at the very top of the list of highest earned actors, earning over a hundred million dollars last year. Reportedly last year. Oh, I was way off. Yeah. Well, 
You know, I got to tell you, what's probably my favorite Tom Cruise movie. I loved Rain Man. The Rain act, Man, it was the it was acting, good, wasn't it? It is was fantastic. spectacular. Yeah. Yes. And it really is a great story. And, and you're watching these two act, and you got to believe that they must have burst out laughing after scenes <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> and I'm to. glad you don't see that when you're watching the movie because uh, it really is a good movie. It really is. Good. And they're both great. They do great parts in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. That was that was a movie that showed the real acting ability of Tom Cruise. You know, he's best known for his action figures, for his variety of movies like Top Gun. And uh, what was the other one where he plays the I Spy guy or the Agent Ethan Hunt? Yeah. Mission Impossible franchise. Yeah. Okay. But that's a, I mean, that's a lot of money for somebody to make in one year a hundred million, and he gives away a huge chunk of it to his uh, religious sect, Scientology. Scientology. Anyway, uh, we got to go to CBS News, folks. We will be right back after this. KDAL time is 1235, uh, 20 degrees, uh, last check at the National Weather Service in Duluth. And Brad, we got some cold temps this morning. Uh, Duluth dipped down this morning. Uh, let's get an update. Eight below this morning in Duluth. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. That's cold. It, it cold, is. Cold. And, and one more, and I know we have Jerry from London Road Rental. I want to check one more. 15 below this morning in Hibbing. And I'm sorry, I lied. One more. The coldest in the lower 48. 19 below up the Gunflint Trail at Seagull Lake, minus 19. 19. Well, Jerry, uh, if I'm working out in my garage and I don't have any heaters and I, and I want to uh, rebuild my car engine, can I get those, uh, can I get those good uh, propane heaters from you that will blow heat into the garage? Yes, we will, but they're only for temporary. You got to make sure you got fresh air so that you don't suffocate to death in there because they do. They're a dry fire heater. That's why I think we're temporarily doing things like that. Surprisingly enough, most of us Minnesotans that stay here, and like you guys that run to Florida, we don't need that. (laughs) We just work on the cold. (laughs) No, no, I don't. This morning was kind no, of in fact, in fact, Jerry, I'm looking at my temperature gauge right now on my computer. It's 83 and sunny outside right now. But I was just looking at what people are renting today just to, to see what's going on. We got siding breaks out, guys working outside. We got ladders out. We got skid steers out. We got a mini excavator. I mean, people are still renting stuff. Snow blowers, sure. even because, yes, with the snow yesterday, again, because the banks are so high, a snowblower works great because it blows it over the top of the bank. So things yeah. are still renting like crazy. Scaffold is still pretty busy. Um, we're getting lots of new stuff in. We got a breaker for an excavator in the other day. Um, the, the stuff that we're buying for the year to get things, you know, teed up and going again. They're still painting trailers, so it's very, very, very busy around here. So even well, though that's it's winter great, time, that's we're what still you want. Keeping things going. So yeah. And then of all the new stuff we have fun coming in, we just got the brand new Traeger griddles in a flat top griddle. It is, it is a propane griddle, but for the people that want griddles and of course Traeger makes super high quality stuff and they always make unique things with super, just tons of features on them. So we do, you know, we, we got in some brand new ones. We're just assembling one to put on the display. So if anybody wants to come down and see a griddle that takes it to the next level up and since it's springtime now, officially for us, because the snow's melting on the roads, so that means it's springtime. Less than six weeks of winter left, I hope. We are starting <laughs> to look for employees for the summer. We are hiring also. 
So we've got positions available. So if anybody's looking for a job, um, come in and talk to us. We'll take your application. You know, it's going to depend on on what you know. But we can teach anybody anything. It's not brain surgery. It's just rental. That's what I remind the guys around here. (laughs) Well, and the nice thing is, like you say, you'll teach them on the job. As long as they've got the right attitude to help customers, uh, you know, they, they might have a job. Yes. Well, Jerry, yep. tell us, uh, wrap it up and tell us how to get a hold of London Road Rental. Give us a call, 218-728-2940. You can find us on the web at londonroadrental.com, which from there you can click all over the place and send us messages. Or you can stop in at 1710 London Road and see us. More and more stuff's going to be coming in, so I'll let you know as things update and as we get closer. Okay. You never know, Brad. I might just knock on your door sometime in the next couple of weeks. Well, that would that would be nice. We were talking <laughs> about that, Kathy and I, the other day. We'd love to see that. All right. All right. Well, we'll call, Thanks, we'll call buddy. Kathy first. Okay. All, All right. right. All right. Talk to you soon. That's going to be fun, Kenny. I think they're going to come down and visit yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't have a doorbell? He's got a knock on the door? Oh, well, we have a doorbell, but you don't hear it very well okay. for some reason. i got to find out what's going on with yeah. that thing, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, uh, i got one question to ask you. Did, we did our CBS News, didn't we? Uh, we did. We did. You're okay, good. good. You've got a couple. Uh, I'm going to give you about uh, seven minutes. Seven Oh, that long. Well, here. I, I want to ask you a question, a sports trivia question. On this date, March 2nd, 1962, a basketball player, Philadelphia Warriors basketball player, Will Chamberlain. All-time, there you go. And how many points did he score? Well, he scored. Was it a hundred? I know it was more than a hundred. Like it was how many? Was it a hundred and three? No, it was exactly a hundred. Was it exactly a hundred? Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Scored the NBA record one hundred points in a basketball game. That they claim is a record that may never be broken. I'll go with that. I'll go with that, and I hope it doesn't get broken. Yeah. I'm glad that Will holds that record. And I remember reading something many, many years ago that uh, the arena held, you know, like a few thousand people. I don't remember. And he said, I'll bet you a million people have said, I was at that game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a small arena. I mean, the Philadelphia Warriors at that time were not a huge team. But, what year uh, again? 1962. Jeez. All right. Held ever since then. That's amazing. Well, I want to ask you a question, another question about legitimate stuff. Uh, Congressional investigators yesterday, Representative uh, Daryl Issa from California, have called on whistleblowers to come forward following the arrest in uh, overseas of an of a person named Gall Luft, L-U-F-T, who is the co-director of the Institute for Analysis of Global Security. Luft, now it may not sound like anything at first when you hear Gull Luft, big deal, Institute of Analysis of Global Security. Luft was arrested in Cyprus on an Interpol warrant, but claims it was political revenge for providing the FBI with incriminating information about Joe Biden's ties to his family's business with a Chinese energy company ahead of the 2020 election. It turns out, according to Israeli international criminal and civil rights lawyer Mordecai Trivian, uh, who is representing Luft, that his client has information that would bury Hunter Biden and shift attention towards the president himself. Trevian has, decl- has declined to provide any documentation to support his claim 
which has left a lot of media claiming that it's just uh, an alibi that he's making up. But in the meantime, Representative Issa is urging whistleblowers with any information that could advance congressional information or investigation into the Biden family business scheme and the Department of Justice malfeasance to come forward. We kind of all knew this was going to happen uh, when as much as they tried to uh, to uh, stick a stake in, in uh, Donald Trump's heart, uh, we knew that when the Republicans got back in control of the House, they were going to start investigating the Biden crime family and ISIS sits on the House Judiciary Committee and the Select Committee on Weaponization of the Federal Government, the congressman has displayed eagerness to investigate election interference with regard to the suppression of information on Biden's family business entanglements. The, uh, the House Oversight Committee is aware of Loft's allegations and will be looking into contact with his lawyer. Now, uh, his lawyer, well, here's Kathy Chung, President Biden's former primary gatekeeper. In other words, the per, the lady that keeps everybody away from Biden, except those that he wants to talk to, has agreed to partially comply with the House Oversight Committee and, and allow herself to be questioned by ISIS committee. Chang's lawyer, Bill Taylor, told CNN... She will hand over some requested documents and sit for an interview with the committee. Hunter Biden's top financial lieutenant, Eric Schwerin, is also expected to soon provide documents to the Oversight Committee investigation of the Biden family as well. But the arrest of Gall Loft and the claim made by his lawyers has caused a stir in the political world. With Kathy Chung and Eric Schwern also providing documents to the Oversight Committee, it's clear that the investigation into the Biden family business scheme is far from over. So Biden, uh, I I have a funny feeling, is probably uh, uh, doing some mad scrambling to try to make sure that his son Hunter Biden stays out of the limelight here and uh, that there's no information uh laying around out there in laptops or whatever else that he may not know about. So we'll see if anything comes of this. I'll keep you abreast. But when I read it this morning, I thought, yeah, it sounds like a conspiracy theory. It sounds like something this guy would come up with to try to get out of being charged for something else. But at the same time, let's wait and see what he's got for proof. Maybe nothing. Anyway, tomorrow we are going to have uh, Congressman Pete Stauber on the show with us. And I wanted to let you know, there's a couple of things he wants to talk about. One of them is a new uh, a new uh, security caucus that he's helped put together. This is the new Northern Border Security Caucus. We've heard about all of the millions of people illegally stealing themselves across the southern border. But it turns out... Uh, U.S. representatives from North Dakota and Minnesota have joined a new congressional caucus focused on security at the U.S.-Canadian border. Um, the uh, On Tuesday, U.S. Rep, uh, Republicans announced the Northern Border Security Caucus, which addresses crimes and immigration at the Canadian border with North and South Dakota, or, well, mainly North Dakota and Minnesota. Uh, the the committee consists of Mike Kelly, a Republican from Pennsylvania, Representative Ryan Zinke from Montana. The new Congressional Caucus has 28 Republican members, including Representative Kelly Armstrong, 
from North Dakota and Representative Pete Stauber of Minnesota. Armstrong said he joined the caucus because the northern border is patrolled by fewer Border Patrol agents with fewer resources by a long shot than the southern border. So these are... uh, these are things that, uh, you know, maybe we can get some insight in tomorrow. And then the other thing that uh, that uh, Congressman Stauber is very involved in is he is now the chair of a subcommittee that has to do with setting goals for permitting for iron mines and the, the like that we have a lot of uh, up in northern Minnesota and, and the northern country. Uh, He said the subcommittee will also conduct oversight on a number of other oil and mining projects affected by Biden's administration's decisions, such as the Resolution Copper Mine proposed in Arizona. In its final days in office, the Trump administration issued an environmental impact statement for the project, but that was rescinded six weeks later by the Biden administration for no other reason than Trump had put it into place. (laughs) The Willow Project, uh, which is ConocoPhillips oil drilling project in Alaska, early this month, the Biden administration singled, signaled support for a scaled-back version, but, re, but remains concerned about the project at all. In other words, uh, there may be an attempt by them to kill the entire project. And uh, Congressman Stauber is going to keep an eye on that whole thing. Most most notably, though, the Biden administration's decision to ban new federal mining leases on 225,500 acres of superior national mineral leases uh, up in the uh, outside of the Boundary Waters Canoe area. Anyway, we'll talk about that more after we come back after our Minnesota news break here on 610 KDAL. KDAL time, 12.54, the music of the late Rory Gallagher, one of my all-time favorites. He passed away on this day, Brad, March 2nd, back in, uh, I'm sorry, he was born. He was born on this day, March 2nd, 1948. We lost Rory on June 14th, 1995. He was only 47 years old. And I got to tell you, Brad, you can't imagine how many times my last name has been mispronounced as Gallagher. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet. Yeah, a ton. So the late, great Rory... Rock on. Now, was he with any band that we would recognize, or was he a uh, lone artist? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. He formed a blues rock trio called Taste, and then he went and uh, went solo. He was Rory Gallagher, had a longtime bass player, Jerry McAvoy, went through a variety of drummers. But I was uh, able to meet Jerry McAvoy. Uh, he was playing with the late Alvin Lee in Minneapolis at the Caboose, and the show ended, and I ran up to him. I said, Jerry, and he was leaving the stage. He turned, he looked at me. I said, you played with Rory Gallagher. Got a big smile on his face. He's shaking his head up, and now he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> 
You didn't tell him about how close your name, the last name, was to his or anything. No, like that. we didn't get into that. But uh, okay. I've been I've been mispronounced as Gallagher my whole life. I had a teacher at Lincoln yeah. used to call me Kenny Calendar. <laughs> do they do people keep thinking maybe you'll put on a show by busting up a bunch of watermelons or something? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Say, I got to ask you a question. Yeah. Um, you, now, I was privileged, my wife and I, to you were? attend you and well, to attend you and Jan's wedding out on Park Point. Yes, and uh, and I'm wondering. This morning, I'm looking at a statistic, and I'm wondering if maybe you can help me with this. Axios has come out with a story this morning that says since 1970, U.S. marriage rates in the United States have declined by 60 percent. Wow. Why do you think that is? People aren't falling why, why in love. Why do you think people are? Why do you think people are not getting married anymore? There's no. We're losing the love, Brad. Where's the love? Where is the love? You think that's what it is? Well, I don't know. You get married because you love the person. And, if you're yeah. not in love, if you don't love them, why would I marry that person? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they just want to live single and they just don't want to do it. I have no idea. Maybe well, it's interesting because there's a sociologist, uh, Andrew Churlin, a sociologist from John Hopkins University. He's come out and said that uh, taxes and some other legal structures still give an uh, advantage to married couples, but the formal benefits of marriage are diminishing. The hmm. formal, uh, said said this guy, he said, life is still a bit easier if you're married, he said, but many of the life events that we used to link marriage, such as cohabiting, having children, are increasingly occurring outside of marriage. In other words, it's kind of kind of like I had friends tell me before uh, when I wasn't married at one time in my life. They would say, uh, hey, why, why get married? You're, you, you know, you're living with a girl. You've got all the advantages. You're, you're getting the milk without buying the cow, as they used to say. And, and so maybe that's it. Maybe cohabiting. Uh, people are are having the love. Uh, they can still be in love and just cohabitate. But it doesn't seem like there's any real advantages to being married. Well, uh, I, even I, as well, yeah, even as they've fallen, it says the institution still does hold some value, but doesn't seem to be as much as it used to be. Well, I think that you you said that this was since 1970. 1970, So yeah. that's 50-plus years, and maybe uh, commitments have changed. Maybe the family structure maybe has changed. People, uh, why get married if we're not going to have kids? I, I don't know, but uh, that's That might be part of it, too. But that's, a big, yeah. that's a big percentage, Brad, 60%. Yeah. oof Oh, huge. Well, and, he, and they pointed out that in, in a case study, a, a you know, questionnaire that was asked in the 70s, high school seniors' attitudes towards marriage have remained relatively stable. In 1976, 74% of seniors said they expected to get married. And in 2020, 71% said they expected to get married. But for some reason, uh, there's less and less people getting married until much later in life. It used to be a basic institution, according to the story, that everyone has to buy into an early adulthood. You get married, then you move to, move in together, then you get a job. Marriage is now becoming the last step into adulthood. I don't know. We'll maybe talk more about it when we come back. we got a lot to do in hour number three, so hang on, folks. We'll be back shortly. 